Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. This happens almost every year where as soon as we start the children's church program, uh, I realize that these kids are about to preach my whole message, <laughs> but it's too little too late for me to start scratching scriptures. And then as soon as they're done, I realize that Ray is going to come up here and then he's going to preach the rest of my message. <laughs> but not this year. Things are, things are different this year. Uh, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited about not only the message. Now I think I'm a little high, Ray. Not, not only the message that I have for you guys this morning, but what we've been doing leading up to it and preparing for it. And, and uh, I, think it's been, uh, I think it's been good, but I also think it's been a little bit unexpected. We started with uh, hopelessness. Am I loud? Ray, like, do something to me. They already know I'm going to be yelling at them today. But we started with a, a, our series two weeks ago on hopelessness, and we talked about the condition of every man, every woman, every child as we come into this world. We're separated from God. We're, we're born into sin. We love to get up here and look at the kids. They were dressed nice. They were beautiful. They were excited. But we know how they act when they're not here, how crazy they are, even at a young age. They're sinners, straight up. That's how they get here. So we talked about that, how, uh, uh, and, and Gary preached the message for us, how what we try to do when we recognize that we're hopeless in that area, that we come uh, out of the package, our, our, our uh, factory setting is sinner, right? So we either try to become atheists where we say there is no God, so we don't have to worry about trying to please him or not, or we become idolaters where we make up our own God or we become God. And there's no hope in that. We remain hopelessness. We talked about a position that we find ourselves in when we realize that no matter what we try to do, things are getting worse. Things are decaying. You know, our bodies are, are, are hurting more and more over time. Our finances, we're consistently in these struggles for many of us. That things in this world seem to be getting worse. You can fix them for a little while just like a car, but it's, from the time you drive it off the lot, it's getting worse. It's not getting better. It's not getting more valuable. And we talked about what we try to do then is we search for happiness. What can I do to make me happy, even if it's just for a day or for a week or for a month or for a season? Let me go and get that because I know overall things are headed in this wrong direction. So when you look at that, that factory setting we come with as sinners, when we look at the fact that things are getting worse and we can only find temporary happiness, the last thing we talked about in, verse, or excuse me, in uh, week one of this Christmas series was a prison that we can find ourselves in. 
It's extremely depressing and demoralizing and destructive when you realize that, man, I've created my own God and it's me. Or I've pretended like there is no God, but I know the truth is that there is. It's also uh, extremely depressing, demoralizing, and destructive when we realize that things are getting worse. No matter how hard we try, things are getting harder and things are getting worse in our lives. So we find ourselves in a prison. One thing about God is that he made all of us intelligent. We're no fools. Sometimes we act like it and sometimes we think other people are, but we are no fools. We will come to a point where we realize the world that we've created for ourselves. We come to a point where we realize, hey, this reality that I've created for myself is, uh, it's a hopeless one. And many of us, we, ex we experience depression. We see people die and go through death because they can't deal with that false reality. They can't deal one more day, one more week, one more year uh, uh, in, that, in that hopelessness. You know, Ray talked about it. Hey, let's get excited about the season. Let's start the new year off, right? But there's a lot of people out there that are looking at their husband or looking at their wife and saying, I can't do another year like this. They're looking at their finances and they're looking at their job and they're saying, I can't do another year like this. So I thought it was good that we started with hopelessness. One thing about finding hope is it doesn't have as much value unless you really realize how hopeless you are without it. Last week... I hope we had a little bit of an upswing. We started off with this hopelessness and this death and this destruction and not being able to survive. But last week, we talked about the fact that hope is on the way, that God knows our condition. God knows um, what it's like to feel like we feel sometimes. And he sends us this message and he says, hope is on the way. Even if it's for the self-imprisoned, I talked about it how we put ourselves in that place by pretending there's no God. We put ourselves in that place by pretending that we're going to make ourselves happy. It's a self-imprisonment. But God doesn't say just because you put the, yourself there, I have nothing for you. He says, listen, even though you put yourself there, hope is on the way. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, this is what Jesus said. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He says, listen, if you're happy and you're healthy and everything's perfect and you don't have any needs and you don't think you're in a prison, then there's really nothing I could do for you. But if you understand hopelessness, if you understand being demoralized, if you understand not having enough, like Raymond said, for all the things that you have to get done, Jesus says, I got something for you. Hope is on the way. So we learned last week about what hope actually is. And again, I think it was surprising for some of us. We learned that hope is about your future. Angels would come and make these announcements, and it's not like Christmas where you show up and what you desire hopefully is underneath the tree. Here it is. Hope is actually something that God says, here's an announcement about something that's going to come into your life in the future. It's not for today. It's for tomorrow. We celebrate uh, Christmas today, but actually what we're talking about is the angels showing up and making an announcement about something that was going to come in the future, not something that would be there that day. Hope was on the way. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, 
of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. The angel shows up, says that you're loved by God. I know that you love God. Everything is going to be great. However, it's going to be in the future. You will become pregnant. You will have a child. You will name him Jesus, and he'll be the savior of his people. But none of that is going to happen today. All of that's going to happen tomorrow. Hope is for the future. I hope that you have some hope for 2019 and 2020 and 2025 and 30. You know, it hit me when, when Ray mentioned it this morning. You know, he's listening to, to all the kids, but he specifically said, Nate, memorizing or memorizing scripture. And he talked about how some of them were, were born into the nursery. I remember when it was just Nate in the nursery. The nursery was Nate. <laughs> but it's so interesting. He always, they always do this, but he blows me away. You know, he says he wants to be a pastor. And I look at him like memorizing scripture and saying things and it's in him. And it's just, it's just powerful that, you know, hoping for today. I'm, I'm grateful for my son and what God is doing now. But what about when he's 20 and not 10? What about when he's 30, right? Another thing we learned about hope last week is that hope is personal and specific. How many of you have had an angel show up and say that you're going to give birth to the Savior? Anybody? You know why? Because that hope and that message was for Mary. Amen. There is hope and there is a message that's for you. If you're looking for Mary's hope, if you're looking for Joseph's hope, or you're looking for Vaughn's hope, or you're looking for David's hope, then you're looking for the wrong hope. It's special and it's specific and it's for you. It's not cookie cutter. I think it was our first young lady up here. She talked about the fact that Christianity is not cookie cutter, which means you don't get the same message as everybody else. And you don't get the same hope as everybody else. That should be exciting. Imagine if every woman got the same thing under the tree. <laughs> Most women don't even care as long as it's different and they think better than whatever other women get. <laughs> it's personal. It's specific. That's special. Amen? Amen? The third thing we learned about hope last week is that love is the conduit for hope. If you want hope, you better be in love. God says, I love you, you love me, and that's the conduit that I'm going to bring hope into your life through. If you don't have a relationship, Mary talked about it during worship. If you're on some other aisle in the store and there's no intimacy and connection and closeness, don't expect things to be handed to you or given to you from God. But if you're in a love relationship where you consider one another, not just what you want, but what he wants, then that's the conduit that this hope is going to come into our lives through. Almost to the end of, of last week, we learn that humble hearts are heard by God. Amen. We're looking at this story in Daniel, and, and the, the angel is, is speaking to him, and he says, hey, when you humbled yourself and you opened your heart and you began to speak to God, immediately God sent me to give you this message of hope. And sometimes our pride and our arrogance and a hard heart will make it to where God can't hear us, can't hear our prayers. But if we'll just humble ourselves, open ourselves up, we can be honest and say we're hurt. We can be honest and say that we're angry. We can be honest and say that we haven't received what it is that we desire. But we have to do that in a humble manner. We have to come before and say, I still know that you're God. I still know that you're, that you're the creator. I still know that you've done amazing things. But Lord, hear my heart. Hear me cry unto you and what it is that I'm looking for. God hears that and God will send hope. And then the last thing we learned 
is that hope isn't a war to get to us. Hope don't come easy. <laughs> Love don't come easy. You know, when, when our kids wake up on Christmas morning, many of them really think that Santa came. Like he just brought all that stuff and dropped it off. They don't recognize that we have bags under our eyes. <laughs> they don't recognize that we got scars from trying to put stuff together. They don't recognize that we haven't eaten out in months. Why? Because for us as mature adults, we understand that those gifts got under that tree through a war, through a battle, through sacrifice, right? Through love and through care. It's interesting that you and I sometimes as children of God, we don't recognize what it takes for him to get hope to us. We don't recognize the scars and the battle and the war and the fighting. What we learned last week as we looked at this story in Daniel says that an angel was fighting for 21 days in a battle just to get the message to Daniel. And we sing hallelujah and we say Merry Christmas and we forget about the battle yeah. that it took for it to be a Merry Christmas. This morning, my hope and my prayer is that we'll remember all that stuff about hope and we'll be excited. We started with hopelessness. Last week we saw that hope is on the way. And this morning we get to see that hope has arrived. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us not just um, a book to read, Lord, but lives to see. We thank you that we can witness that in the lives of children. We can witness that in the lives of young adults and adults, Lord God. And we can witness that in the lives of those who are older, those that have been faithful, that have found you and remained faithful unto you, Lord God. This morning, we thank you that it's a, a long story that you're telling, Lord. It starts in hopelessness. It starts in deceit, Lord God. It starts in sin, but it leads to promises of hope, Lord God. You said that you would make... Uh, uh, all of the enemies of your son to be, before, to be bowed down before him, Lord God. You said that you would crush the enemy underneath his heel, Lord God. You made a promise that these things would come to pass. This morning, we're here to celebrate that all of your promises are true, that hope has arrived, that everything that we wanted to happen and we wish could happen, Lord God, that it actually has happened. My prayer this morning is that for myself and for everybody here in this place this morning, that that reality would become something that we are experiencing on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, Lord God. Not something that we just have head knowledge of, but something that we've experienced through heart knowledge, Lord. This morning, come alive, Lord. Send your spirit. Remind us, Lord, of the battle that was won in order to give us the hope that we can now live in, Lord God. Have your way over this message. Have your way over your sons and your daughters, Lord, as we woke up this morning, just like our children have year after year, Lord, expecting something good from you. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. amen. All right. So today is a day of celebration. We recognize that hope has actually arrived. Hopelessness is a thing of the past, right? It's not just on the way. Hope is not on the way. Hope has actually arrived. That condition that I talked about earlier about separation from God, right? We had sin. God made a promise that he would change that. He's dealt with idolatry. He's dealt with atheism. All that's been consumed by righteousness and by unity, right? So instead of idolatry, instead of the separation from God, instead of atheism as if there is no God, he consumes all that. And he says, no, you can have righteousness now. We can have unity. We can be together. 
That position of never-ending decay and loss that we mask with moments of happiness, right? God promised that he would change that. It's all been consumed by this new reality of increasing health and gain. When you look at some people, they're still in that place where everything's always getting worse. Everything's always about loss and trying to get enough back, but it's just like slipping through our fingers. But God has said, hey, I'll change that. I make a promise that you can have increasing health (laughs) and you can always be gaining. God's the only one that can make a promise like that. When we look at our lives, when we go to the doctor, they say, you're getting worse. But as Christians, we could say, that's what it looks like to you. (laughs) But no matter what happens to this body, I'm going to get a new one. I'm getting better by the moment. And that last one of that prison of inescapable separation from God, right? And that death and decay that leads to uh, depression uh, and destruction. God promised to change that too, and it's been consumed by freedom and by life. Instead of sitting in a prison where we say there's no escape from this place, now all of a sudden we may look the same on the outside, but we know that we're free. The Bible says that uh, uh, the, the world's prisoner is the Lord's freed man. It doesn't matter what we look like on the outside, we've been set free. We have life ahead of us. John chapter 10, verse 10 says that the enemy, the thief, does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He came for that reason. The whole point of the arrival is not so that we can just say that we're Christians. It's so that we can have life and life more abundantly. So the part of the Christmas story that we know the best is the part that is only unique to Mary and a few others. And that's not the part that I want to talk about today, right? God comes and he says to uh, Zacharias and to Elizabeth, you guys are going to have a child. That child is going to be the front runner or the forerunner of the Christ, right? He is going to be special from the day that he's born. He's going to announce to everybody that Jesus is coming. That's not your story. That's unique only to Zacharias and Elizabeth and John the Baptist. Then the same angel, Angel Gabriel, shows up and he says to Mary, listen, you're special. You're going to have a child. You're going to be a virgin who's going to get pregnant by the Spirit. You're going to bring forth a child. His name is Emmanuel. And he says to Joseph, don't be worried about it. Everything's going to be great. That story is only unique to them. Not unique to you and I. Herod says that all the children underneath, actually before he even gets there, he says to the wise men, these wise men show up and they say, where's the Savior? We see his star. We sing a song today, your star lit the sky, right? That's the story. These wise men come and they say, where's the child? He was born in Bethlehem. And Herod says, go and find him. Come back to me. Tell me. The wise men want to worship, right? And Herod wants to kill the child. Kills all the children under two years old in Bethlehem around that time. That story, again, is only unique to a certain few people. But that's most of the story that, uh, that many of us tell or many of us know or what we expect to hear when we go to church. So instead, this morning, I want to spend a few minutes talking to you guys about Santa. <laughs> We're not going to look at Santa Claus, but this part of the Christmas story is not unique to only a few. It's unique uh, for all of us. So we're going to look at Simeon, Anna, Nicodemus, the temple, and the arrival. This is the real Santa in the story of Christmas. So there's three things. If you're taking notes, these three things are what I want you to think about, what I want you to learn about, what I want you to pray about uh, as we go forward. Number one, the Christmas story to me is about confirmation Number two, the Christmas story is about commencement. 
And number three, the Christmas story is about Christianity. Confirmation, commencement, and Christianity. So Luke chapter 2, verse 21, looking at confirmation, it says, When the eighth days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Stop there. God promised Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Christ. He says, you're going to live, you're going to serve, you're going to worship, you're going to be a priest, you're going to be in the temple, but I have a promise for you that you will not die before you've seen the Christ. The bigger promise that God makes is that he's making a way for every wrong to be right, for every sin to be forgiven. Simeon is not just about one man receiving his promise, but every promise of God being confirmed. Christmas is about confirmation. Something that God had said to this particular man a long time ago, he says, in this moment of Christmas, I confirm it. What I've told you has been confirmed. You no longer have to wait for the promises. You no longer have to wait for the hope. Imagine what it would be like if God told you that you were going to see the Christ. Every child that came through, you'd be thinking, is this the one? Every present you opened every relationship you entered into, every job that you got. Could you imagine waiting for the one all the time and just waiting for it to be confirmed? Listen to what Simeon says in verse 30. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. He's a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Past, present, and future promises. God confirms them to all people. Even when you hear Simeon talk, he's not talking about himself and what he wanted and what he got. He said, listen, I finally saw it. This is for all the Gentiles. All the people are going to have what you promised them. All of Israel is going to receive what it is that you've sent to them. Simeon's ready to die and rest because he understands that the promises are timeless. They've been confirmed, but he knows that, listen, even though it's time for me to die, 
because of this child who's going to be sacrificed for the sins of everybody, he says, even though I'm dying now, one day I'm going to be resurrected with a new body and with a new life because God has confirmed his promises. How many of us have that sense of peace in our lives that time doesn't even matter anymore? See, when God comes and gives you confirmation, the, the waiting periods that you have to wait, they no longer matter so much. You know, when God says, hey, this is the relationship for you, you can endure the rocky seasons because God has already confirmed that it's going to get better. When God comes and confirms that this is going to happen to your children, you can endure all the drama of raising children because God has already made a promise and you know that time doesn't matter anymore. Simeon's saying, look, you told me I'd see the Christ. I see the Christ. It's time for me to die. I'm ready to go. I don't care if it takes another year. I don't care if it takes another thousand years. I know that I will be raised. You've confirmed to me that your promises are faithful and your promises are true. We talked earlier about the fact that hope is for the future. Many of the things that we're waiting for in the here and now, we love it when the kids get up here and say, you know, the the garland represents the crowns and the berries represent the blood, right? Jesus was doing things in the moment that were going to have major effect well off into the future. And that's what we're supposed to be as Christians. We're supposed to live in the moment with an understanding of what we have in the future. When that kind of hope arrives in your life, you experience a special confirmation that all the promises that God has made to you will actually be delivered. The, 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 the Christmas story is about the Savior showing up, and that affects every other promise that God has made to you. How many of you are still waiting for things to show up in your life that God has said? He's sending. I love Amazon. I was telling the church last week. <laughs> Amazon has made it to where I, don't, I almost don't have to leave the house ever. If I didn't have to go to work, Amazon could take care of groceries, they could take care of TV, they could take care of everything. But sometimes when you order on Amazon, uh, you, you order maybe two or three different things and they come from different companies, which means they're not all coming in the same box. But when the first box shows up, you're like, oh, the rest is on the way. <laughs> I went out and bought the ring doorbell so that you know when it's on the way, like hope is on the way, my package is on the way, one gets to the porch, and then all of a sudden, my, my ring doorbell goes off all the time, and I'm just looking, waiting for somebody to come up and try to steal something. <laughs> it's my own neighbor. What are you doing in my yard? It's my package. That's my hope. But that's what the Christmas story is ultimately about. He's saying, listen, I want to confirm to you that the, the, the most important package has arrived. I told you that I would send salvation. I told you that I would send help. I told you that everything that separated us would be removed out of the way and that we would come back together, right? And there's more on the way. Amen. Just keep waiting. The one thing that we have to do is we have to remain faithful like Simeon. I wonder how many times uh, he lost heart. I wonder how many kids were born. He's like, man, this ain't the one. <laughs> how many times he thought, man, I thought for sure it would happen earlier. I thought for sure it would happen sooner. But he remained faithful. My prayer is that you guys have confirmation from God that his promises are faithful and true and that you remain faithful. Simeon was there when the child showed up. How many of us can say that we will be there? We will be in our chair. We will be in that relationship. We will be with that family. We will be where we're supposed to be when the package shows up, when it actually arrives. Christmas Christmas is about confirmation. Number two, Christmas is about commencement. This is one of my favorite ladies in the Bible, and there's only three verses about her. Right after the story of Simeon, it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 36, Now there was one Anna, 
a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age. Say she was old. (laughs) There's so many nice ways to say that, right? She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Anna, it says, began to speak to everybody who was looking for redemption. Looking for redemption means that you're waiting for hope. You're looking for hope. How can I be redeemed? How can I be helped? Where can I find hope? And she said to all of them who were waiting, she said, hey, hope has arrived. What you've been waiting for is actually here now. Heaven has touched earth. It has commenced. What we've been wanting, what we've been waiting for has actually commenced. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word has become flesh. What was in heaven, what was just talked about and was just word, has actually become flesh. It's been birthed into the world. It's here, and Anna began to tell everybody about it. What you've been waiting for and looking for is here. To me, commencement is one of the most interesting things. It's not the end or the beginning. It's just a special moment. When you go to a college graduation, it's called commencement. That's why. (laughs) So how are we at a graduation, which means, man, the beginning was a long time ago. You were going to school. You were doing classes. You were staying up all night. You were doing all that kind of stuff, right? That's the beginning. So you would think that this is the end. It's the commencement. But they say, no, it's just the commencement. It's not the end or the beginning. What still has to happen is you got to start a career. You got to get a job. You got to use all this education. However, commencement is special. That's the time when you wear the cap and the gown and you move the tassel and you throw it up and you've had all your friends, right? You do that at commencement. Even though a lot of work has been done since the beginning, the Lord says this isn't the end. This is just a moment of shifting. Now you're going to enter into something that you've never uh, entered into before. Everything was important before that. Everything will be important after, but this is the most important moment. So if you think about the kingdom that way, there was all kinds of stuff that was happening, all kinds of promises and things that needed to happen. And then after, we know the story of of Easter and the crucifixion and all the things that happened afterwards, but commencement is when Jesus actually landed here. It's the commencement of a shift, something different, a change. Think about Anna's life. She was faithful to the Lord. She got married. It says seven years after she got married, seven years from her virginity, her husband dies. And then she spends 84 years as a widow faithfully serving God. I wonder how many of us could could do that. You know, there's a lot of single women who are looking and waiting and can't wait to be married. And then maybe we can learn something from Anna. After seven years, she's like, man, I ain't doing that again. (laughs) She said it was all good. And thank God for that season. (laughs) But Lord, it's just me and you now at the church. (laughs) Cut it out. But think about that for a second. She was faithful to the Lord. She got what maybe she thought she wanted. Remember we talked about temporary happiness? Oh, that's going to make me happy. And she realized that my happiness is not in my marriage. My happiness is not in a man. My happiness is in my God. 
So even after that marriage, she says, it's okay. I was faithful to him. He was faithful to me. And now, Lord, I'm just going to continue to be faithful to you. It says that she did not stop praying. She did not stop fasting. And think about the lifestyle that she lived. So here, the Savior is born. There's a priest in the church. And he recognizes as soon as he comes in, he says, this is the one. He picks him up, takes him from Mary and Joseph, picks him up and starts praising God for him. The Bible says that the, the greater blesses the lesser. So he blesses Mary and Joseph, right, and tells them about their child. And then it says that at that very moment, say moment. moment. Man, I hope you don't miss your moment. At that very moment, Anna comes walking into the church. <laughs> She's been a widow for 84 years. She wasn't doing anything special. She was just coming to pray like she always came to pray. Yeah. She was fasting like she always fasted. And this particular day, in a moment, she comes in and she says, oh, it's, it's begun. It's the commencement. Everything's different from this time forward. There's been a shift. What we were talking about and praying about and what I was fasting for and praying for, he's actually here. It has commenced. And it says that she walks out of the church and she begins to tell everybody else, it's commenced. It's commenced. The one we were waiting for, the hope we were looking for, the redemption that everybody needed and everybody wanted, it's here. Man, I love commencement. The shifting. So at his arrival, Simeon announces that. At, uh, at his arrival, uh, Anna announces the commencement. The kingdom has arrived. Heaven has touched earth. And then it leads into what we call Christianity. Not what we hopefully know of as Christianity and not the churches that we talk about and go to and the smoke and the mirrors and all that kind of stuff, but like real Christianity. One thing that, that I love about God's church, and we aren't the only one, there's a lot of really good churches, I believe, out there. Um, but the good ones talk about the kingdom of heaven and how we're a part of it and not the names on our churches. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, Bible says, for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. When we first started getting called Christians, we were doing what we're doing here this morning. All they did is get together, assemble, and learn, hear the word of God taught, and then people started to say those Christians, those people of the way, those people who are following that Jesus. Now there are many of us all over the world. Here's what I think the first people uh, that became Christians, it happened at Christmas. This is the story of the first people becoming Christians. This is Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, now, same time as, as all this stuff going on with the angels and Mary and the birth. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. This is how you become a Christian. <laughs> Don't listen to what everybody tells you and maybe what we talk about too often in the church. This is how it happens. The first thing is they hear that a child has been born. Somebody told them, just like we always say, go out and tell your friends, go out and tell your family, invite them to church, but not to church, invite them to Christmas, invite them to know the child. So these angels show up like they always did in the Old Testament, and they see these shepherds, right? You've got priests, you've got faithful men and women in the church, and then you've got the regular folk who are like us. We're just at work one day like these shepherds were. They were outside doing their job, and somebody came to them, an angel came to them and said, hey, I want to tell you about a child that's here. This is where he's born. It's up to you to actually go. The Bible says that they came. They heard, and then they started to talk to one another. They, they discussed what they had heard, and they said, let's go see if this is real. Let's go see if this is true. Once we hear about the word, we hear about the child, we have to go and find out for ourselves. When the shepherds show up, the scripture says that they saw Mary, they saw Joseph, and they saw the child. You've got to see it for yourself. I can't tell you how many people I've encountered over the years that tell somebody else's Christmas story, that tell somebody else's faith story. Miss Peach is that, or Danita this, or Sandra this. That's not how it works. You've got to see the child for yourself. When it says, I think it's great that it says that they saw Mary and Joseph and they saw the child. You've got to understand about Mary and the virgin birth. You've got to understand about a father that it's not Jesus' uh, biological father, but he is his father that raised him and protected him and took him to Egypt and then took him to Nazareth. And then you've got to actually see the child for yourself. Amen. That God has sent hope into the world, that he actually has arrived. And then I think the real test, if this has happened in our lives or not, it says that they went out and told everybody and people began to marvel. That's how you become a Christian. You hear, you go see for yourself, you actually see the child and receive the child, and then you begin to tell people what you've experienced and they marvel. How did you change? What's different about you? Is this child really real? Can you take me and introduce me to him? Cause others to marvel. So here's what I wanna close with. How does that happen for us today? None of us have a manger that we can go to. I, I hesitate to say, but I don't think that angels showed up to any of us and told us, go to this particular street in this particular house and the child is going to be there. So how is it that this happened to me? How hopefully has it happened to you? How will it happen to those who aren't in church today? Uh, but we hope that come next year, they're the rowdiest ones in our churches. What do you want for Christmas? What I want for Christmas is God to just do what he always does and just save people like crazy. And next year, when all of us are in different churches celebrating the, the birth of the king, that people that didn't know him now know him and they're worshiping. Yes, amen. So how will that happen? The last person we're going to talk about is Nicodemus. <clears throat> and Jesus explains to him, because people have been asking that question ever since, how does this actually happen? And then Jesus explains it for us. John chapter 3, verse 1 says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? <clears throat> how can these things be? How can these things be? Jesus says to Nicodemus that the same way that the Savior was birthed into the world, right? He came in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. I like your quote. Ray, if you have it, can you, can you put it back up there, your, your quote? He came in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, hey, the same thing has to be true. The Savior has to be birthed into your life, and it has to be birthed into the manger of your heart, not into the inn. The inn represents uh, the hotel, the inn represents where anybody and everybody can stay. It's, it's joint quarters. It belongs to everybody, but it really belongs to nobody. We always hear this story about Jesus being born in a manger and it being a barn and it being outside somewhere. The, the reality of the, of the story is this. When you read back through Luke chapter 1 and 2, it says that there was a census. Everybody had to go, which means everybody came back to Bethlehem that lived there. And all the inns, all the hotels were definitely filled up. But what it means to, to be born in a manger is that it's, it's, it represented where people kept their livelihood. These people were, were uh, agriculturists, right? They raised their own arm, uh, animals and they grew their own food. So um, their animals stayed in the house with them. They didn't have their own barn in the backyard somewhere. They had where they slept, they had where they cooked and ate, and then they had another room in the house, which is where their livelihood, their actual animals lived. They didn't leave them outside for somebody to come and take. It was in their own home. That was their livelihood. That's how they were going to eat. That's how they were going to survive. When we were in uh, Nigeria recently, uh, right where we built one of the wells, we saw exactly that. All these animals kept going into a house. We're like, why are they going into their house? And we realized that's their livelihood. They're not going to leave that out there. They bring it all the way in. What about the manger of your heart? Your livelihood, the closest place, where you, what you value the most. Jesus is saying, I have to be birthed there. Not in the community church. Not in the inn that everybody has access to, in the manger of your heart. And he's explaining this to Nicodemus. He's saying, listen, there's got to be another birth in your life. And then, he, then Nicodemus says to him, how can this be? And he says, it's like the wind. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it started. All you know is you felt something, right? <laughs> you couldn't put it in a bottle. You couldn't grab it if you wanted to, but you know you felt something. The birth is like that. Christmas is like that. And I love that if you read through the scriptures, God gives us two examples. We're going to close and we're going to worship. God says that um, one example is like a rushing wind. Acts chapter 2, it says they were all sitting together like we are, and the doors get blown off, and this wind comes through. It tears everything up. That's how it happened in my life. I remember when the rushing wind came through, and everything was, was in a tornado, all my sin and all my junk was spinning around me. It was hitting me in the face. And in the midst of all that, all of a sudden, there's this child being birthed in my life. 
saying, listen, if you want all this to change, here it is. I love that example. And for, for a long time, I wanted everybody to have that. Man, you need a tornado in your life. <laughs> Grab onto that child and hold on for life. Let him be birthed into the manger of your life. But man, you know another example that I love? Jesus, after his resurrection, he's talking to his disciples, and they're in the upper room, and it says that he just breathes on them. Amen. He says, receive my spirit. I was like, man, some people get to just get breathed on, no tornadoes. <laughs> That's what I want for more people's lives now. Amen. For my kids, I don't want the tornado. I just want God to breathe on them. For those of us that, that we're already out there in the world, some of us need that tornado, and it's okay. God has that for us. For others, man, I'm praying, Lord, just breathe on them. Let them receive your spirit. Be birthed into their life. Let them be born again. That's the Christmas story. Isaiah, would you come? The Christmas story that, uh, that I hope more of us will begin to be able to tell is not the one that everybody knows about, an angel showing up to Mary. Praise God for that about wise men and, and those who are attacking Jesus. But I want us to be able to tell the story that's, that's common to all of us about Simeon and, and promises being confirmed. I want us to be able to tell the story uh, that's common to all of us about the commencement. When things shifted, when you went from somebody who was waiting for something to happen, waiting for a savior, waiting for forgiveness, waiting for love, and then you had your commencement where it started. There's more to go and there's more to experience, but you can look back and say, man, my Christmas story has already commenced. And then the Christmas story that's about Christianity. Hey, I, I, I heard about the child. I went to see for myself. And you know what? It's true. <laughs> I met him. I saw him. He was there. And now I just tell the story about how he's changed my life and people marvel. People that didn't know him have come to know him because I've come to know him because I'm a Christian. It's a simple story, but it's the greatest story ever told. <clears throat> One thing that's changed, why don't we stand? One thing that's changed is that angels used to do all the announcing. Bible says until Christ was crucified and raised from the dead that the spirit was alive and active and on people's lives, but in a much different way that once Jesus was crucified and raised. He said that he went back to the Father and the Father then sent the Holy Spirit. And he says, now you are my ministering spirits. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. I need you to go and tell people. Where an angel named Gabriel had to show up and tell Mary and Joseph something. And angels had to show up and tell the, the wise men something. They had to see a star. Angels had to tell the shepherds where to go and what to see. God says, uh, there's been a commencement. <laughs> Something has shifted. Something has changed. Now you carry my spirit and you are my ministers. It's you who go out and tell people how to meet me, where to go, where I am, how they can find me, how they can inherit salvation. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They'll call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God is with us this morning. He's not isolated somewhere. He's not laying in a manger anymore. He's not alone and, and weak and unprotected. Man, he's strong and he's capable and he's ready and he's willing. 
Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads for just a second? So I want you to think about your own heart this morning. Think about the different rooms and areas of your heart. You have that area for your friends and your family. You have that area for maybe your aspirations and your dreams, all the things that you desire to do and desire to be. And then there's that one area that maybe nobody's ever been into and nobody knows about, but it's what matters most to you. Maybe you've never expressed it. Maybe you're just coming to really understand it yourself. But that's where your real life, your real soul, your real spirit resides in that one special part. The Lord would say to you this morning, that's the manger. That's the place that I want. That's the place that I want to be my own. I want to own that real estate. I want to be birthed into that place of your life where I become what matters most to you more than anything else. You can still have dreams, hopes, aspirations, friends, family, all those things that are important to you. But what matters most has to be me. You need to be born again. I need to be birthed into your life. And I want that to happen today. I want that to happen this morning. I want the commencement of knowing about me and hearing about me and thinking that you would love to have me. I want that to shift into having me, a new life inside of you. If you're here and you've never done that before, you've never asked him, you've never been willing to give him what matters most to you, man, that's what Christmas is all about. It's not about family gatherings, it's not about trees, it's not about presents that are going to uh, lose their value within weeks of Christmas. Now it's about having the gift that will always be the most valuable thing in your life. If that's you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, just you and the Lord this morning, I only want to see you so I can pray for you. The Bible says that when they announced to the shepherds that the child was born, that they began to worship, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there were all these hosts of heaven, all these other believers, all these other angels, they started worshiping God. This morning, as you come to know the Lord, the hosts of heaven will rejoice with you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can see you, so I can acknowledge you this morning? Man, something's being birthed in you, something's being found in you, something you didn't have, now you want it, praise the Lord. Would you just raise your hand so I can see you? Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. For the rest of us here this morning, if you're a believer, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says, Those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin for salvation. Talk about the gift that keeps on giving. Lord, you've been birthed into our hearts. We remember when you confirmed to us that you were real and that you are true, that your promises are faithful, God. We remember the commencement, Lord, when we celebrated all the things that had happened in our past that led us to you, Lord, and then all the things that were going to happen in our future. We call ourselves Christians here in this place, Lord God. We believe in the real and true Christmas story, God. And we wait for the other gifts that you've sent to us. We thank you for our salvation this morning. 
We thank you that we have what matters most, Lord, but you're so good to us that you've sent more hope for us. You've sent more blessings for us. You've sent more joy for us, Lord. Every time you see us in need, you have another package that you've mailed out to us that we can open just at the right time, at the right moment. Let us be like Anna. Let us be in your temple, in the place that you've called us to be, in the moment when the package arrives, Lord God. Let us remain faithful like Simeon did, knowing, Lord, that it would arrive. Man, we know that you have more for us here in this place this morning, God. Lord, I pray that you would come and breathe on us again. We're going to open the altars. We're going to receive communion this morning. And that's the prayer. If you're here this Christmas, you're already a believer. Hope has arrived, but you need the Lord to breathe on you again. We want to pray with you. Lord, we release your people back unto you, Lord, this morning, hopefully filled with hope, filled with vision, Lord God. Breathe on them again as they go to their friends, as they go to their families, Lord God, as a couple days from now we'll be celebrating and sitting by our trees, Lord, watching ourselves and our kids open up presents, Lord. I pray that uh, we would be able to find a way to tell the Christmas story, God. I pray that we would be able to find a way for others to begin to marvel at what you've provided for us, Lord. I pray that many would come out of hopelessness, hear that hope is on the way, and be able to experience what it feels like when hope has arrived, Lord. As we receive this communion, Lord, it's a reminder that there's still more to come, Lord. Your body that was broken for us, your blood that was shed for us, Lord God, the redemption of our bodies, Lord, our resurrection according to your resurrection, Lord. Let us receive this communion as a gift this morning, Lord. Let us receive it as a gift, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Breathe on us again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a Savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.